This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, December 4th. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Daniel Davis. Well, this week, the nation is mourning and remembering the life of George H.W. Bush, the 41st president of the United States. In today's episode, our colleague Jenny Montalbano speaks with her dad, a Houston native and former rodeo executive, about his interactions with Bush and the family's impact in the community. Plus, Michigan lawmakers are going after kids' toys for not being woke on gender. We'll discuss. But first, we'll cover a few of the top headlines. Well, the late President Bush is lying in state under the Capitol Rotunda today as visitors line up to pay their respects. The president was 94 when he passed away. He was the last combat veteran to have served as commander-in-chief. His funeral service is set for Wednesday at the National Cathedral in Washington, where his son George W. will give one of the eulogies. Other eulogies will include former Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, former Senator Alan Simpson, and presidential historian John Meacham. And notably, President Trump will also attend the funeral, despite his somewhat contentious history with the Bushes. A Politico report cites some of Bush's closest confidants who say that he would have wanted any sitting president to attend his funeral. In an interview Monday with Fox Business, National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow addressed the progress President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping made at the G20 summit in their discussions on trade. Whatever I can tell you, um, I just want to say on this Xi, President Xi and President Trump, really had good chemistry. You know, all this talk that they're friends and so forth, I had not seen them together before. And they really had a lot of good chemistry. And President Xi really carried the ball, as was suggested to us in meetings earlier from uh, Vice Premier Liu Hei. So it, it went according to script, but I think President Xi made the sale. Starting January 1st, China and the U.S. will take three months to negotiate on trade instead of continuing to escalate the trade war via tariffs, etc. Trump said in a tweet Sunday, China has agreed to reduce and remove tariffs on cars coming into China from the U.S. Currently, the tariff is 40 percent, but China has not addressed the issue yet. Well, President Trump is lashing out once again at his former attorney, Michael Cohen. Cohen recently entered a guilty plea and is now cooperating with FBI Special Counsel Robert Mueller. On Twitter, the president accused Cohen of lying in order to get a reduced sentence and said that he should, quote, serve a full and complete sentence, end quote. Cohen pleaded guilty to campaign finance violations and other financial crimes back in August. And last week, he pleaded guilty to lying to Congress about the Trump Organization's efforts to build a tower in Moscow. Trump says that project was never pursued. A senior ISIS leader, Abu al-Umaran, was killed via drone strike in Syria Sunday. Al-Umaran had given indications of posing an imminent threat to coalition forces, and he was involved in the killing of American citizen and former U.S. Army Ranger Peter Kasich. He has been linked to and directly involved with executing several other prisoners as a senior ISIS member. Coalition airstrikes continue to disrupt ISIS command and control on the battlefield as we remove key figures from their ranks. That's what coalition officials said in a statement per Fox News. Well, remember that Dutchman who wanted to legally identify as 20 years younger than his age? Well, a Dutch court has turned him down. The court issued a statement on Monday saying, quote, 
Mr. Rattleband is at liberty to feel 20 years younger than his real age and to act accordingly, but amending his date of birth would cause 20 years of records to vanish from the register of births, deaths, marriages, and registered partnerships. This would have a variety of undesirable legal and societal implications, end quote. Emil Rattleband is 69 years old. He called himself a young god and said his age made it hard to get a job and to find matches on Tinder. Something tells me the slippery slope is going to push a little further and they're going to realize, oh, wait, he feels like he's this, so he's got to be 20 years younger. Feelings are truth. Well, next up, Jenny's going to chat with her dad about the Bush family's impact in Houston. Americans have almost entirely forgotten their history. That's right, and if we want to keep our republic, this needs to change. I'm Jarrett Stepman. And I'm Fred Lucas. We host The Right Side of History, a podcast dedicated to restoring informed patriotism and busting the negative narratives about America's past. Hollywood, the media, and academia have failed a generation. We're here to set the record straight on the ideas and people who've made this country great. Subscribe to The Right Side of History on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher today. Well, on today's podcast, we have a very special guest calling in from Houston, Texas, Yance Maltabano. Along with being a small business owner and a proud Texan, he's also my dad. Dad, thanks for calling in. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, you're on today to talk about the passing of President George H.W. Bush. And as native Houstonians, we certainly, and you especially, have some really fond memories of 41 and of Barbara. They were really special to our city, but particularly to the Houston Rodeo and to Houston sports. I want to talk about the Rodeo First, which you've been a part of for over 20 years, and you had the opportunity to spend some time with him. But first, can you explain briefly what the Houston Rodeo is, why it's important, and the positive impact it has on the community? The Houston Rodeo allows students to go to college where they would not be able to because we allow them, we uh, offer them scholarship money, scholarship dollars. And uh, that's that's the primary purpose of the rodeo is benefit youth and support and education for the state here in Texas. And uh, we have sent thousands of, of students, both boys and girls, throughout the state of Texas for four-year scholarships, two-year to also graduate. And we also support other areas through the local community that's uh, uh, education and benefits uh, throughout the Houston and surrounding area. Well, and they have thousands and thousands of volunteers. And for those listening who don't know, it's a special three weeks in the spring. Every night for about 20 nights, there's a full rodeo and then a huge concert with some of the top country and pop stars. It's just a great way for the community to come together. But I want to talk about a special night that happened about nine years ago, if you can believe that. And I remember very distinctly, my sisters and I always tried to come out with you for all 20 nights when you were doing your three-year stint as an active vice president. And I remember one night in particular, mom seemed nervous. You seemed nervous, but excited. We had to be on time. And all of a sudden we're rushed out onto the dirt of NRG stadium, which is where the Texans play. And there's 70,000 people looking at us on screen. And I just remember all of a sudden seeing these golf carts and out comes president Bush with tons of secret service. And then it all made so much sense. He was there to start the nightly calf scramble on the dirt of the rodeo with you. 
What was that experience like getting to talk to him, getting to do such a memorable thing with him? It was an incredible experience because uh, he's such an amazing man and he's done so much for the country and, and also for the Houston uh, local community. For the three years that I served as an active vice president, I was fortunate enough each year to um, have uh, President Bush and Barbara to come out to the show. They were uh, big supporters of the Houston Rodeo and uh, the mission. Um the reason I got it for the three years is the leadership at the rodeo uh, in three-year terms. And every three years, we turn over a third of our leadership. So during my three years, I was the officer in charge over a calf scramble, and that gave me the opportunity to work directly with Mr. Bush, President Bush, and uh, Barbara. So that particular night that you're speaking of, he had uh, wasn't getting around like he once did, and uh, was using the uh, use of a cane, and we uh, decided uh, he was determined that he was ready to go and wanted to start the calf scramble again because it was a tradition for him. So we decided, well, let's put him in my golf cart and we'll just drive him out on the dirt because the dirt is fairly deep and it's uneven and it's uh, hard to to uh, maneuver in. So we drove him out on there because he was, like I say, the, he was a strong man, strong-willed, and he felt it was a duty to him to be out there, and he loved the kids. He enjoyed so much watching the. We'd have uh, we have the kids that are lined up to catch the calves as they come running out. And what the president did was starting it was he raises his hat in the air, and when these calves get to a certain point, he drops his hat, and the race is on. The kids are chasing the calves; they're trying to catch them, and he would get so tickled to watch them and. Uh, trying to catch and and so did Barbara and just thought that the determination and grit that he saw in both the girls and the boys and many times the girls certainly uh out outnumbered the boys in catching they were very very determined all all of them were and he knew what it meant once they caught these calves then they had the next year to go purchase a calf and then raise that calf the next year and bring it back to the show and show it. And so what those kids did, as well as their family, and, and President Bush knew this, was they were committing to a huge task of every morning being up before daylight to feed their animals, take care of their animals, go to school. Some of them played sports. Some of them were in uh, the band and other extracurricular activity. And after school, then they had their animal late in the evening to take care of. And and on weekends, they had to work with them. And President Bush was very much aware of the commitment they made and just saw that as just part of America, how you just dig in and you go out there and you work hard and you give it all you've got and um, each day. And that's the way he lived his life each day was out there. And, and the way he came out, he was always so uh he was just always kind, always mm -hmm. laughing. Well, and well, you, well, you bring that up, and there's a photo that I, I tweeted that the photographer was able to get. So it's on my Twitter, and he has his arm kind of on you, and you're, and you're both smiling. What what were you thinking in that moment? <laughs> well, I was just thinking how how uh, how fortunate I was, and what an honor it was, and a privilege to be standing there and having the president with his hand on your shoulder, telling you, "Isn't this great? This is just one of the greatest experiences." in my life. I enjoy coming here every year. And he was thanking me and thanking the, the Houston Rodeo 
for having him. <laughs> That's the, it's just the opposite. We thank you for taking the time out of your schedule and you coming out. And uh, he said, I wouldn't miss it. And uh, so he and Barbara, every year they would come and they would sit right there on that front row. And he just loved it because through the action, they the dirt, the dust, he just absorbed it all. He loved and, it. And uh, when it was... When it was over, you know, we we have so much time. It's a production that you have to go on to the next event. And Mr. President, President Bush was just talking and enjoying it so much. They were saying, it's time we have to go on. We have to get him to his cart. But I said, I'm not rushing him. He's, he's having too much fun. No, I remember he's how much fun it. he had. And I'll never forget when the crowd realized what was happening, just the roar of the crowd, over 70,000 people cheering. And not just the night we're talking about, but every night that they chose to come over the years, they would make a special announcement. And you could just tell how much it meant oh, yes. to the crowd. And I'll never forget after the night you're talking about when, when he finally wrapped up on the dirt and, and was leaving with his secret service, he saw my two little sisters and they were in pigtails and matching silver sequin shirts. And he was just so amused and tickled and went over to them and they, they were so young. But I just remember thinking how cool. It just was such a human, cool, innocent moment. So memorable for all of us as a family, what, what he and Barbara have done, you know, when the Super Bowl was in Houston, they played a big part in that and the city appreciated it. But also Houston sports. I mean, I know plenty of ball games we went to for the Astros. He and Mrs. Bush were behind the plate cheering along in their jerseys and jackets. Talk about that. Oh, yes. Uh, he was always at the Astros games. I can remember uh, you and I and the girls when our family were always uh, always at the games as well, and and uh, Mr. Bush, President Bush, and and Barbara were always there. And you're exactly right; they supported the city so so much and in so many areas. And he loved baseball. And they would be there early to the game, and they would leave when the game was over. They stayed. They just weren't there for a couple of innings. Um, I'd like to go back a minute to the rodeo. You're right. When he saw you and uh, your sisters, uh, he got to see you every year. So he remembered the familiar faces and said hello, and he did get tickled. But a, a point, like you're saying, at the at the rodeo, also happened at the Astros games, but at the rodeo, as he was coming out, and people in the crowd would see and realize that's President Bush, the people in the stands began to cheer, and they would chant, and they would stand up. He always got a standing ovation, mm-hmm. and the the noise level and the cheering and the clapping was something that just gave you chills to uh, to experience. And the same at the Astros games when they recognized that Mr. President Bush was here and Barbara, the crowd there would stand up and get over a, a, a standing ovation. That's how much people loved them and appreciated them for the people they were. But he was just he was always thankful of people and uh, kind and, and would always stop. And there, I, I, I watched him at the rodeo and children and adults would stop and say hello. And he never, ever passed anyone up. If they wanted to speak to him, he gave them the time. He did. And it also said a lot. You could just tell how beloved he was by his own Secret Service agents. And to me, that just spoke volumes. Now, I have one more question for you. You know, you're in Houston and President Bush is now in D.C. for a couple of days, so there can be honors and ceremonies here. What's the mood like in Houston? Oh, it's um, people are sad. 
that he's gone, um, but they're also so happy that uh, when they think about the memories, it's just joyous and what a life he lived. And um, that the man, uh, he's there, you know, people are saying, well, he and Barbara are back together. They weren't apart long. And you knew that was going to be the case. They were just connected. And um, I've been, uh, uh, you know, in the area where the, uh, where his home is, I've passed it several times. There's a memorial that is growing there of flowers and cards, and there's a flag, and uh, people are on the sidewalk, and they're going up, and you see some smiling, some in tears. Um, same thing that at the church. The church, uh, St. Martin's Church, has got a people around it. It's been around there since the day, since the Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Um funeral home same thing it's just people are everywhere somehow trying to to take and be a part once again of uh, president bush and his life that they want to be a part of and share because that's the way he lived his life shared it with so many people he did and so Um, did mrs bush and it's a testament to how much they gave not just houston not just texas but but the country as a whole throughout their entire lives and We'll have to keep their memories on. Just two incredible people. Dad, thank you so much for calling in. You're more than welcome. Thank you for having me. I'll see you in a couple weeks. All right. Love you. Take care. Do you have an opinion that you'd like to share? I'm Rob Bluey, Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Signal, and I'm inviting you to share your thoughts with us. Leave us a voicemail at 202-608-6205 or email us at letters at dailysignal.com. Yours could be featured on the Daily Signal podcast. A Democrat lawmaker in Michigan isn't happy about Happy Meals having boy and girl toys. Representative Leslie Love of Detroit wants to end that practice and has introduced a resolution. The resolution reads, per the Detroit Free Press, that, quote, often the designated boy toys are action figures or building toys, typically in primary colors, whereas girl toys are often stuffed animals and are usually in a pastel color scheme. This is a significant issue as billions of these meals are sold every year, and this practice can influence and limit children's imaginations and interests by promoting some toys as only suitable for girls and others only for boys. Fourteen lawmakers have signed on to co-sponsor the bill. To be clear, it would not ban having different toys. It would just say, you know, the clerks would have to do something like say, do you want the Barbie toy or do you want the action figure? They couldn't say girl or boy. So, Daniel, are you woke enough to get on board with this? You know, this is why state legislatures should only meet for like 12 days a year. They clearly <laughs> clearly have too much time on their hands. Like This is not a serious piece of legislation. And it sounds like speech police. Is it not? No, I mean, it does. It's saying that a company has to label something as such. And it's not like a health or dietary thing. It's it's defining well, gender for them. I think it's also just one of those things that it's like, yes, the government has no business getting involved. But even aside from that, I just don't understand why people get so worked up about this. I don't think it's any problem if your toddler girl wants a boy toy for you to just say she wants the boy toy or, you know, something like that. Like, this is such a non-issue. But that- what they're trying to do is they're trying to redefine gender stereotypes. They're trying to say that there should be no 
I mean, stereotypes kind of a pejorative term. Like people think, mm. oh, that's bad. It's a stereotype. But there are actually norms. Like there's cultural norms for what men and women do. Like you're wearing a blouse. I'm wearing a suit right now. That's a stereotype if you want to call it that. But it's just a norm. And the state of Michigan is trying to get rid of that and say children should be able to actively choose what norms they participate in. Well, actually on that, we might disagree because I don't, I think part of the problem right now is sometimes we're too rigid in our gender norms. And I think that almost causes some of the um, gender confusion. Like, I don't think that if a little girl enjoys, um, you know, wearing more boyish clothing or something, that that means she is a boy. I don't think if a boy enjoys, you know, occasionally messing with nail polish or dolls or whatever, that that means he's a girl. I think that there... No, it doesn't. But it does mean that masculine and feminine, like, have set kind of... It's kind of a sliding scale, right? Well... It's like it still means something. So you yeah. wouldn't say that he's a girl, You would, but you would say, oh, he's doing something that is more of a thing that girls tend to do, a feminine type of thing, right? Mm, and that doesn't mean he's a girl. It just means that... Maybe. I mean, some of this is sort of interesting, like just historically, like the pastel colors, um, which I do like pastels. Um, but, you know, you think about it, like it used to be, and I think around 1900 or something, like blue was the girl's color and pink mm-hmm. was the boy's color. Yeah, yeah. And so some of this stuff, I feel like... It's is relative. Yeah, it's totally relative. It's not inherently masculine or feminine. It's just stuff that our society, I mean, there are, there are, <laughs> there is inherent femininity and masculinity. I do agree with that. But some of the um, manifestations of it, I think, can be a bit um, arbitrary. But I mean, I, like, this is just to me, yeah, like, why are people so worried? Like, I don't think, you know, small children tell you what you, they want. They are not right. going to play with a toy they don't want to play with. Right. And I actually remember being very upset as a child. I think there was like one time when they were all out of the girl toys and all they had were the boy toys. And I was like, this is horrific. Yeah. That'd be funny if Michigan makes this law and the boys and girls keep wanting the same toys. And I, I would not be surprised <laughs> if that actually happened. Like, I mean, you're not gonna McDonald's nature, follows like, the free market. Right. And if boys and girls are like just wired a certain way, you're not going to change that. Right. And I think they've even... Ha- I don't know if it's anecdotal or studies, but like there's definitely instances where like you try to get boys to play with more feminine toys and they still turn them all into guns. Right, right. And, you know, girls, vice versa. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but it's just, I don't know. The level of angst is what really just sort of weirds me out about this. Like, yeah. Like, why do you need to control this? Like, it's not. Right. Why there's does no the government news story need to this? of some toddler having a fit because they asked for the the toy that belonged to the opposite sex. And McDonald's said no. And that right. child felt, you know, like this is a problem that doesn't exist. But I'm almost surprised that the state government is kind of getting ahead. Although it's not the government. Right. It's just a, a legislator. So yeah. I guess I shouldn't say that. But I'm kind of surprised that. um the state legislators getting ahead, so to speak, of a corporate America, because corporate America is usually like, at, <laughs> at least in the Trump era, they're like the ones that are pushing, you know, all the left wing issues, trying to get ahead. Well, but I mean, maybe this is an issue where like they can tell from their marketplace studies, like this isn't going to go over, and it's probably mm-hmm. just simpler. Like I bet the employees. I mean, I think I don't think Burger King had boy and girl toys, and I don't. Or maybe it's like they did occasionally. I don't remember this being an issue at all when I worked at Burger King. Yeah. Um, 
but I can just <laughs> a lot think. of things are issues today that weren't issues well, like two no, years but, ago. Like, I'm trying to remember like when I was remembering everything else about people's orders like so and so didn't want pickles or whatever did I also have to be like boy or girl toy and I just can't remember it at all which I think suggests either that it was occasionally that they would do different ones or they didn't at all right. um, but I'm not an expert on this it's been over a decade I guess now um, anyway where I'm trying to go is I wonder if the fast food chains like if they do regularly have boy and girl toy versions, I bet it's just hard for the employees to freaking remember which toy is which. So right. rather than having to say it, it's just simpler to say, do you want the boy toy or the girl toy? Right. So. Exactly. Well, hopefully and when State every of Michigan, second counts. Hopefully State of Michigan doesn't decide to put cameras in uh, fast food chains. <laughs> Make sure that employees don't say boy and girl toy as shorthand because that's incorrect. Right. And I mean, I, I don't know, like. Yeah, or maybe they'll have to start offering like they be toys. Yeah, Fun big times. brother, big brother's watching. Uh, big they be big. <laughs> That's big right. Oh no, <laughs> who says the state is masculine? <laughs> we can't say that. Well, I mean, actually, the state is bad and toxic masculinity. So Z okay. Z state <laughs> is watching you. We'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast, brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. We'll see you again tomorrow. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.